Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at thegoldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today's guest is Nancy Fox, the founder of The Business Fox, coaching and training for high-performing professional and executive women. As a business career architect, she helps professional women break through their glass ceilings and surge forward in their careers and business. There is clearly a generational gap, and the gap now is both gender-related as well as technology-related. Younger generations have different values than the family business founders how to bridge this, how to support the women in the family and give them the tools to advance and be recognized, respected, and given opportunities as a challenge to archaic thinking and belief systems. Nancy is passionate about ensuring talented, highly trained career women, career moms, overcome obstacles, both inner and external, develop the confidence and success path that fulfills them and accelerates their financial rewards. Nancy, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm so happy to be with you. Yeah, so we're going to talk about how to get ahead in your family business and talk about particularly with a focus on women because that's your your passion and your strong suit as well as it should be. Women need all the support they can get and especially from other women, I think. Um, So let's talk about some issues that plague women and men. Let's start with both. And, And, you know, I think it starts with confidence. And what are some of the tools they need to get ahead? What what are your thoughts on maybe why confidence isn't there to begin with in a family business? Is it like, is it something that we get from our family of origin? Is it something that we, uh, you know, or maybe it doesn't matter where we get it. Like, how do we overcome and become, overcome a lack of confidence and be more confident and show up, you know, in a more powerful way? Well, you know, that's such a, it's such a grand question, right? Because yes. it's interesting, you know, when I do polling and when I do surveying, the number one issue that everybody wants is more confidence because we all know that any lack of confidence is going to, it's like a, it's like a glaring missing tooth. You know, people can feel it even if you try to cover it up. And I think that everybody grapples with it to some degree. Some people look like they don't grapple with it. They cover it over. Other people, um, it's clearly evident that they're, you know, that they're struggling with their own self-confidence and their self, um, 
you know, happy, basically just feeling solid in their own skin. But I think that, you know, we are very much social, we're socialized very differently. And by the way, I really want to clarify something, just because I really am passionate about helping women does not think that I think men are not important to the, into, into the equation. I think we're, we're really all um, in the same game, but I do, I know clearly that women and men are socialized right from the get-go very differently. And we can see it. We can see um, the expectations of parents. It's so different for the boys in the family than the girls in the family. And it doesn't mean, you know, a lot can be affected by birth order. You know, I happen to be the firstborn. And so I'm the girl and my brother, you know, obviously was the second born and his confidence was you know, he's, he had a different level of confidence than I did just by being the firstborn. But socialization is such that by the time you're the, at the age of 10, a lot of your, um, a lot of your framework is, is solid and formed and it, it's, it's really sort of ingrained in you. And to overcome it, it takes a lot more than just having a few tips on how to overcome a lack of confidence. It's deeply, deeply ingrained over situation by situation by situation by responses of people the facial expressions of the people around you boss um, teachers parents family members siblings it just happens everywhere so you get so many messages about your value in the world right from the get-go and then it gets and then it just becomes magnified as you get older I think it's a really interesting subject um, just by to contrast what you said. I was raised by a mother who lost her first husband, my father, her second husband at when I was very young. And so I think that I have always found confidence to be an area where I struggled with. And yet I went out on my own at a very young age. So that certainly exhibited some con uh, confidence. I was the baby in the birth order, um, but really raised by a matriarch. And I, I don't know that the men, I don't think the men in our family were raised uh, like the classic business family because, or classic family because there was not a strong father figure who d delivered that confidence. So, so for people who are listening to this, like confidence, I think is a, probably a very individual thing based on um the, the social uh, fabric of your of the community that you grew up in, your family, the nature of your mom and dad or lack thereof. Um, would you agree that it's very, it's very it's personal? Very like interesting. You know, one thing to be very to be exploring more is a person who has the, the patriarchal or the matriarchal role in a family, just because they're sort of the one in command doesn't mean they're confident. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing, like a lot of times people compensate for a deep inner lack of, a lack of self-belief by behavior that looks very strong, very aggressive, very assertive, very powerful. Right. Uh, and but it's, a, but it's an insecurity that drives that. Baby yeah, behavior. I mean, I, I definitely I know for myself, I grew up in um, in a time where, you know, women we were encouraged to get an education, but it was not encouraged to have a career over family. <clears throat> and I learned how to be um, a leader in a company watching the men. I didn't watch the women because there, there, there weren't any women to watch. Mm -hmm. or if they were, if there were, they were the assistants, they were the coffee getters, 
They were the executors. They were the doers. They weren't the leaders. So I, you know, emulated the men. And that's, you know, so I think the confidence gets developed over many, many, many circumstantial things. And and we integrate them into our psyche. And very often we can't even see that there are blind spots. We can't tell. We just know how we feel. We don't really know how we got there. And so I'm doing a lot of the, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my clients came from a family. She was the youngest. She was, she had two older brothers. Sorry, she was the, she was the third of the four. And she had a younger brother and two older brothers. But all of her brothers who had less education um, were negotiating and were advancing in their careers faster than her because she didn't have the confidence and the training on how to stand up for herself. She was, she was taught to be very um, acquiescent, mm-hmm. very follow the rule, play by the rules. But remember, you know, as women, these rules were designed not in our favor, you know, right. so we're playing with a stacked deck and we don't even realize it sometimes. So I'm not saying that it's only women that are less confident. I'm saying that everybody's got their baggage to deal with, but sometimes we're just not aware of how we got there and or how to undo it or how to re- redesign our, our confidence level. And it takes a while to do it. Yeah. So do you have some like key resources or tools or processes that you take your clients through to help them start to build confidence? I think like, cause like you look like you're naturally a confident person, but like, if you believe believe like I do that confidence is like leadership is like sales, uh, salesmen or saleswomanship that it, it's a, these are learned behaviors and we don't, we don't come out of the womb being confident leaders, salespeople or what, what have you. I think so, sometimes some kids do Yes, have a family where, you know, confidence just is so embedded in the family culture that it works really well, but it's not very common. And more often than not, there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of issues, trauma, you know, painful moments that stick with us. I mean, just, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many clients I've had who told me that one of the reasons that they're, they struggle so much with their confidence is they raised their hand in elementary school to go to the bathroom and the teacher said no, and they peed their pants and it's with them forever. And it's not one person. So um, to tools I use over time, when I, I started coaching a long time ago, and I, I've always been fascinated with the, the mental side of success, you know, mm-hmm. as a player. So I read, you know, the inner game of tennis and I began to real, you know, really read a lot of sports psychology. And I wondered why all of that sports psychology was not translated into the business world. So I began studying a lot about it. And of course, you know, athletes and performers are trained right from the beginning to use meditation, visualization, all of that, um, and even hypnosis. So over time, I started to get some additional, in addition to my coaching training, I got training in visualizations and in and hypnosis. I'm actually uh, a certified hypnosis practitioner to help my clients because sometimes these confidence blocks are so old and they're not even um, clear for the client. So to get underneath, to get under the hood, we have to go pretty far back and pretty deep. 
not all the time, but very often we'll go pretty far back to figure out where it all began so that we can have a client realize that it's it's really has no relationship to the present or the future and they can release it. And then there's a process of releasing the process of releasing the past and the past trauma or the past block or mental belief system that's really in the way um, needs to be practiced more than once. You know, you need to do it regularly, at least for 21 days to consistently to start to eliminate because you've got some, um, this is going into a little bit of neuroscience here, but you know, your thought processes are basically a network of neurons that are connected. And when they're connected and they keep repeating in the same way, you're never going to change your thinking unless you disrupt that connection and create new ones. So that's why the visualizations are so important. That's why going into a deeper state, like a REM state, will help you change your thinking process. You know, think about this. Every day when we get up in the morning, 90% of the people in the world get up in the morning thinking the same thing when they get up as they did the day before, how do you break the pattern? So that's part of the tools that I'm using with people. And when you're dealing with family businesses, particularly now you've got the family dynamic, which is entering into the business equation. And it is, it can bring up, it can like reactivate every painful point imaginable. Right. So it's even, it's, it's even, it's, it's exacerbated in a family environment. Family yeah. Business. Yep. So I really believe that tools are so important, especially um, I came to learn that as a coach that, you know, give someone a tool, the use of which will help them to change their thinking, their behavior, their way of showing up. Um, Without that, I mean, maybe tools are a crutch. Uh, Without that, people have difficulty accessing uh, the behaviors that they need to practice or uh, they have difficulty accessing being accountable to it. So I think it's really important. And by the way, as you were talking about um, affirmations and visualizations and meditation, all of which I really believe in, I think it's super powerful and I've seen it transform many people's lives. Um, I really like the work that Byron Katie has contributed in this area where she asks the, these four questions that get you to look at the, your belief system around something And then kind of ask you questions around, like, do you know this is absolutely true? And, you know, who are you when it's true? Who are you when it's not true? And what, like, what would be the turnaround statement if it were not true? And I think that's a great tool that she's offered the world for people who want to turn around a self-limiting belief or thought that limits their confidence. So I'm sure you're familiar with it as well. Yeah, and I also like, I want to just sort of, you know, play on that a little bit because um, what what she's done is asking a question in such a way that your brain is forced out of the normal pattern. Because if you tell somebody, you know, you have every reason to be confident, this is nothing to worry about, you know, just go out and do it. Um, your brain is going to um, is going to resist because it's in a familiar pattern, right? Mm-hmm. But what, when you're asking a question like you know, like she does, um, you're disrupting the pattern and forcing the brain to look for a different answer in a different way. And that's the first step in reconstructing your brain pattern, your thinking pattern and your belief systems. Then you can go into practicing it on a regular basis. And the more you practice the new thoughts and the new beliefs, the more they become yours and the more they become. That's why, 
you know, you know, if you, they, that's why the fit, you know, fake it till you make it. If you yeah. keep making it till you make it, eventually you're making it and it's really you. It's not the faking it anymore. Yeah. Well, Tony Robbins is a great example. Um, I, that quote that you just said, fake it till you make it. I first heard from him, um, but he's a great example of someone who changed who he was totally. and, and re, really created himself. And so um, he, I hold him up as a great example of someone who has elevated himself beyond his circumstances and, and created himself. And, and, you know, I, I know that I always looked up to my grandfather as a child growing up because I always described him and so did others as a self-made man. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, they'll say, they'll tell you that if you're a tall man, that you're going to be more confident. And my grandfather was a very short man. Um, and he didn't have that kind of fake confidence. He had real confidence that came from picking himself up from nothing and making something of himself. So pretty interesting. All right. Let's talk about women and money and women, you know, who maybe don't negotiate for their benefit when it comes to compensation, uh, maybe in a family business. I have a client, um, I have several women clients, but and I do notice that there is, and these, this is universal to everyone, is that it takes a certain amount of self-esteem to ask for a raise in your prices, a, um, uh, to get paid what you think you're worth. This seems to be an issue that uh, women maybe struggle with more than men because of the way we were raised. And maybe that's changing today with millennials. What? What are you seeing? What's your thoughts on this? Unfortunately, it's not changing with millennials. How millennials are dealing with it is they're just leaving their jobs and going to another job. They're not learning how to, no one's teaching them how to command what they're worth. And no one's teaching them the language of, um, I call it the art of the ask, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. Nobody taught that to me. I'm going to tell you how this is It's very distressing to me that women are taught to feel guilty about money. They're taught to feel that they're greedy, that they don't deserve it, that they shouldn't make waves. I got such bad advice. And as I was climbing the corporate ladder, um, my boss, I had two bosses. One was a man and one was a woman. The woman had uh, my boss was extremely confident. And I don't know how she learned it. I never had that discussion with her, but she was, she was like one of the boys she had, she swore like a sailor. She knew her business. She knew her numbers. She didn't take crap from anybody. And she completely commanded her worth. But when it came to me, while she supported me and, and mentored me, when it came to money, she did not support me and she lied to me. She lied to me and it was very, very painful. My male boss, when I told him what was going on about negotiating for a raise or for a promotion, which by the way, they wanted to promote me with a title and more responsibility, but they didn't want to put the money behind it. And I'm going to say this straight up without the money, it ain't a promotion. It's BS. They're lying. I agree. No guy would ever consider it a promotion without the money and no guy would take a promotion without the money. So my, my male boss, I had this discussion with him. He was my nice mentor. And he said, just be patient. The money will come. 
It never came. It never came. And then the only way that I was ever actually able to make the big leap into a higher, you know, real senior level um, positions and higher and, you know, really big money was when I finally learned how to negotiate. And I had to learn how to negotiate from a man because none of the women around me knew how to negotiate. Nobody could teach it to me. Even the lawyers who knew negotiation, they were doing it for their for their clients, but they couldn't do it for themselves. So women are not really learning how to negotiate on behalf of themselves. I personally love the art of the ask. I think it's a game. And I don't know how I really would have ever learned it unless I really pushed that envelope. But eventually I did. And I and what floors me is how even today, women, we've made a lot of strides in terms of working you know, in, in bigger companies, getting bigger jobs, maybe getting bigger titles, but no seat at the table, at the executive decision-making table, and definitely under, you know, we're not getting paid at the same level. And that's only because I think women are not pushing the envelope hard enough and saying, what are the guys making at my level? They're not saying, how is that? How am I differing? They're not forcing people to show them the numbers. They're afraid to push the, they're afraid to push it for fear that they will be fired. Um, they'll, they'll be branded as aggressive, as, as pushy. And what's wrong with that? It's only, it's a negative only because other people are saying so. So one of the big problems is that women are always looking for validation outside of themselves, always. And it's a problem because as soon as you're looking for validation and compensation outside of yourself and not owning it from the inside out, you've already, you've given up your leverage. So you think that women do that more than men? Is that absolutely, absolutely. The, the statistics demonstrate that. That does not mean to say that all men are strong negotiators or are going to do it. What I am saying is percentage-wise, men feel much more comfortable talking about money, asking for money, um, having an open dialogue about what they want. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel guilt about it. Women feel guilty. Women feel like it's, it doesn't make them look good if they are too for, um, forthcoming or forthright or direct. Well, this certainly would be very identity changing, I think, for some women uh, to do this. And sounds like it's a really positive thing. I mean, I think it's uh, powerful. Let's put it in the context of a family business where maybe, uh, you know, maybe two children, a, a son and a daughter are working for perhaps a mother and father, maybe just a male uh, father who's really running the business. Um, getting treated equally um, or getting treated, I should say, not equally, but getting treated fairly is what I think is really important. And I, th- I think for in a family business that you have to look at the position that they're in, the function, the role that they're doing, the how they're contributing to the the, the profitability, the growth, uh, whatever those metrics are, and look at the external market and say, you know, what would I be paying someone to fill this position? Um, and try not to overcompensate. I think it's really important not to overcompensate your children, but uh, maybe five or 10%, you know, additional compensation. But I think that can destroy the culture of a business if people know that the kids 
of the father are making, you know, excessive amounts of money, at least in terms of compensation. And so many factors in this. I mean, I just had a, um, I have a client who he inherited the business from his father and was very uncomfortable with the numbers. Just his whole game was all about, he loved working with the clients. He was very good in sales. The rest of running the business, it was, uh, you know, but he was very lucky that the business was sort of running itself financially. It just worked. Um, he had no financial um, acumen, didn't work on it. And eventually he brought his son into the business. His son had an MBA and his son had to patiently wait until his father was really ready to release the reins, even though he had a much better grasp of the finances of the business and had a much better grasp of the marketing of the business and had a much better grasp of how to lead people and design the construct of the, of the company. And yet the father had a really, so remember, it isn't just about the logic about who should, where the succession is or who should be the, who should be the, um, who should be at the helm underneath the, you know, the, the founder. A lot of it is the confidence of the parent, him or herself. If they're not feeling confident and they're feeling threatened, that can affect the whole family business dynamic too. There's so many factors in it. There could be jealousy. There could be pride. There could be, um, they don't want to cause a war between the kids. They want to be fair. I mean, there's so many factors in family businesses that don't exist in non-family businesses. There's so many, and, and, the, and, and with a family business, so much, there's so much greater emotional, um, there's the emotional um, components are so much higher and more intense. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, something that's been a consistent theme through my show and that I talk about in my book is um, how to have difficult conversations. Um, this is important, whether it's in a family business or a non-family business, uh, uh, equally important. But it seems to be more difficult in a family business, uh, especially when it's among family members. And one of the themes that we've talked about is the importance of having uh, the right conversation in the right room. And I talk about room in quotes. Um, is this a family conversation that should be had at home or, you know, out of the office? Or is this a conversation that involves the ownership team, which might be uh, different than the leadership team or the management team? So I'm sure you address this as well in your practice. You yes, see this? Totally. It's so um, it's so fascinating because how do you separate like, you know, can you, as human beings, can we really turn off the emotion of what's going on in the office at home? And can you turn off what's happening at home in the office? It is really, really challenging. It's a way, it's, it's such a unique um, entity, a family business. It's so interesting. And I mean, the, the, when a problem occurs in a family relationship, it is magnified in the business. And think about, you know, I've, I've dealt with so many different family businesses where there's been a divorce and the two, the two people that found it were husband and wife, and then they divorce. And that family business is now, it's like, it's the people in the company are affected by it, all the employees and who gets the company and who gets, I mean, I can't, and, and it is very common that the female does get, um, if she's not really savvy about 
commanding the money part of it, she's going to lose out. And so that's a big problem too in the, in the separation of assets and the division of assets. And then there could be factions, you know? So all of this, I think is, that's why I think it's so important for, for people and women particularly to really get a handle on their worth, their confidence and their ability to own their ground, to speak up for themselves and to be um, confident enough to share what they really want and to stand for it and to not be manipulated emotionally uh, and just to treat it like a real business as opposed to a family business. That's the other thing. It's difficult to do that. But if women don't learn how to do this in their business life, by the way, how you do anything is how you do everything. It often translates at home where they're, you know, they are people pleasers. They're the caregivers. They don't say no. They want it. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to make waves. They don't want to upset anybody. It's a very common um, dynamic that women fall prey to. Well, as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking that you and I probably play the role of business therapists. Um, some of this really belongs in a family therapist's office and not in a business therapist's office. And I think that you could probably, they can, we can address with our clients in a business context, this, the, the issues that will transform and transfer over to their relationship as family members to one another. Um, so these are challenging things. Uh, you know, I like to sort of change uh, uh, our focus a little bit and move also talk about the gap that happens between one generation and the next and the difficulty of uh, each party listening and understanding the other party. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what are your thoughts on how to create, how to bridge that gap between the two generations? What are some maybe universal thinking or, you know, practices around how to bridge that gap? You know, that's so great because we're in a funny, t- in a, a time now because um, just a few years ago, it was really the, gen- it was the generational gap between the boomers and the millennials or the Gen Xers and millennials. And that was the big issue. But now millennials are starting to have kids of their own. And the Gen, Gen Y, Gen Z. Y, Z, whatever. Yeah, Gen Z. Now they're starting to, you know, really um, enter the, the, the workforce. And what is, what is very consistent is millennials and Gen Z really share a very de- departure from the older generations in that they value autonomy, freedom, purpose, um, values, and they do that. They, they really want to feel like they're doing something meaningful and purposeful, and they don't want to sell their souls for the almighty dollar. They're not willing to do that. They're not willing to put their nose to the grindstone for 50 years and get a gold watch at the end of it. They don't want that. They're not interested in that. And they're not, and they, and we're, we're living in times when, you know, the old model of working for one company, one industry for your whole career is ridiculous. Nobody does that anymore. So those, uh, you know, there were, there were the opinions of boomers and even Gen Xers were that, you know, millennials and Gen Y, 
a Gen Z, you know, they don't have a good work ethic. They don't want to work hard. That's not true. They do work very hard, but they play. They want to have a life. And that's very different. They're willing to work hard, but they want to do it when they're respected and when they're valued. And maybe they, you know, I think we look at that and sometimes say, well, they want to they don't want to pay their dues, but they don't want to pay dues the way we did. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're wrong at all. It just means they see life differently and they should. We have now proven that, you know, with COVID, look at what happened over the last two years. All of the systems got, all the pickup sticks got thrown up in the air and fell down and they're rearranged completely now. And I think all of us have really said, what's really important to me now? What do I really care about? And not just millennials, not just Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen Z. It's really everybody. We are all looking at what's truly important now. The old ways are gone. The old nose to the grindstone for the whole, your whole life. And, you know, just keep working really hard and hopefully you'll get a little bit of a raise every, no one wants to do that anymore. Everybody wants to live a fuller, more, more, more value driven, more purposeful life and feel like they're making a difference as well as earning a living. Yeah. And I, I think listening, communicating, understanding, having empathy for the other person is probably the key to being able to bridge that gap. Um, you know, without, without consistent open lines of communication, honest, frank conversations, it's very difficult that that gap uh, will continue to widen if people don't talk and they don't come together and they aren't understood. Um, they don't have any, but they need listening skills because what happens is that even if they're having a discussion, if you're only thinking about what you're going to say next and not really getting what's happening for the other person on the other side of the room or table, there is, it's just words. It's not really an empathy as you're saying now is like all of a sudden empathy becomes this new buzzword now. Right. I know. One of the things that I ask is, well, is that that empathy is more important now than ever before? Why didn't we care about it before? Why wasn't it always there? And so I think it becomes one of those cool buzzwords that companies want to say in order to attract the right talent, to keep the right talent. It's got to come from the heart. You can't, you can't just sound empath, you know, empathetic. You have to be empathetic. 100%. Within, right? I agree. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot people have challenged me on why uh, I use the term disruptive successor and said to me, and typically these were people who were, uh, owned a business and thought, why would I want my child to be a disruptive successor? And I've tried to be empathetic and understanding of their situation and explain to them that if their son or daughter is going to inherit this business and if they are going to grow the business and grow themselves at the same time, that lots of changes will have to be made. And so as we queued up this show, we talked about the technology gap that exists between young and older generations. We talked about the generational gap. Um, so a lot of things have changed and for a successor to really be able to grow the business, um, they're gonna have to introduce new technology. There's gonna have to be some consideration to how to transition out um, the old man or old lady from the business. And there's probably gonna be some people that maybe have been with the company a long time who aren't growing with the changes and the times that 
I hate to say it, you know, sometimes might be sacrificial lambs or if they can't be coached to adapt to the new processes, the technology that is being introduced to the company, I think it becomes very difficult um, for a successor to bring everybody along and ensure the viability of the business in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen, I've worked with it numerous times and you're right. It becomes a very painful process. It's painful for the founder because they feel bad for the person that's been with the company and helped the company grow. But on the other hand, they know that person is actually causing drag in the company and, and the younger generation in the company only wants to make a difference, only wants to be a force for growth and success. And they, and they want to, they want to make a difference of their own. So it does become this really, um, it becomes a challenge because that's when you'll start to see ageism creep into the equation too, because, you know, as you start to advance in years, the assumption is you're not advancing with the times. It's not always the truth, but sometimes it really is because people don't like the change. So you're right. It's because there's, that's why there's so many different um, components to the relationships of people in a family owned business that don't exist in other businesses because there aren't the same, um, there aren't the same um, triggers that happen for people. The emotional triggers can be much bigger in a family business. I think as we start to wrap up this conversation, I think what's really important is that values be put in place. Uh, I know as a coach, you believe that companies should have really well-established values that are alive and well and purposeful in the organization and are not just, you know, lip service, but uh, they're congruent with people's behaviors. Um, What about family values? Should these be, I mean, I don't know of any family that has articulated what their family values are, unless it's in a, some family business constitution. But I'm, I don't know that family values really artic- families articulate what the values are. And so um, could these be in conflict, do you think, with business values and or they have to be congruent or are they one and the same? Absolutely. I think, you know, when you have family value, let's say a family value might be family first and everybody else is like a foreigner, right? Oh boy. Or or a religious mindset. You know, the whole company has got to be in alignment with my, our family is all about our faith. And this is how, Mm -hmm. you know, these are, and they, there are a lot of companies out there that definitely bring their family values into their organization and people in the organization either subscribe to them or they don't, right? Or they're not. Yeah. yeah. A great example of that, by the way, is Service Master, which literally stood for serving the master, Jesus Christ, the Lord, their Lord. Right. And which I thought was a great value because when they're when you're cleaning toilets and doing janitorial work, it's some dirty work. And for you to think that, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness and that you're doing the work of a saint. That's a great mindset to being successful. So it can work very well. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, and it can be. Um, and then again, it can also work against some people in you know sure, companies sure. where they feel if it's family first and the son or daughter wants to come in the business and take over a role that a fantastic employee who's dedicated him or herself for years 
they're out, you know, and family first. So it can be, there's so many different things, but I think one of the things I think is very important is when you're working in a family business, you have to have your ears and eyes open and recognize that this is a different structure. It's always going to be a different structure and you need to either accept that or it's not right for you. Do you know what I mean? And you've got to understand when you're dealing with people, this is what you're walking into. You've got to be ready to accept that that's, it's going to be part of the professional equation that you're walking into. Yeah. So I think I'd rather reframe the term values to behaviors and say, you know, what are, what are family behaviors and what are business behaviors? Um, these are the behaviors that, you know, we live and die by. And if you violate them, you're, you know, you're voted out of the company or you're, you know, you're ostracized from the family. I think that I'm not sure if there needs to be congruence between the business behaviors and the family behaviors. I think they're, I think they're overlapping, but I think they're different. Um, overlapping meaning that there's some overlap where they're the same in each, but they're probably different. So final, final thoughts on this subject as we wrap up. I just think that it's really time for, um, this is a great time to take stock of what we really, what we're really all about, what's really important to us. Um, whether you're a man or a woman, I think everybody's asking the same question these days. It's like, what, what am I really all about? What's my life really all about? How do I, how do I create congruence between what I really want for myself, my family, my life? What do I want to stand for? And how do I marry that with the career that I'm developing? And where's the best place for me to do that? And when you're in alignment, I think your confidence level shoots way up. That's the other thing. When you're not in alignment, your confidence goes way down. When you're in alignment with who you truly are and what you really believe about yourself and the world and what's really that important to you, I think your ability to be confident and to accomplish more escalates dramatically. It's exponential. Nancy, I love that. Those closing thoughts. Appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be with you. And I love being disruptive. I think it's fantastic. I'm with you all the way on that. I know you do. Nancy Fox, founder of the Business Fox Coaching, author of the book, Network Like a Fox. Thank you so much for being. And thank you for listening to the show today. Uh, If you like this, please give us a great review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much and share this with your friends, family, and uh, business colleagues. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at thegoldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
Please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.